The following is a CA original. Pouncer, the Palm Squad. Pre- and post-game parties on Beale Street. It's all part of the Memphis Tigers basketball game day experience. This is the Tiger Basketball Podcast. What's happening, Tiger basketball fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Basketball Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, commercial appeal sports columnist. I am joined, as always, by Jason Munns our Tiger basketball beat writer. Uh, Second week in a row, another streaking edition of the Tiger basketball podcast. Tigers have now won six of their past seven, uh, get a a win over East Carolina over the weekend uh, to improve to 12 and six for the season, eight and three in conference play. Uh, And it sets up a pretty big week, uh, especially if you're one of those growing number of people here in Memphis who think this could be an NCAA tournament team because they play a down Cincinnati team at FedEx forum Thursday night. And then the big one, if they win that it sets up a monster matchup at Houston Valentine's day, Sunday on national TV, CBS uh, at noon. So um, here's where they can really plant their flag as a potential tournament team right here this week, if they want to, if you go two and zero this week, you're to me you're going to be listed in some of those bracketology things come Monday. So um, we'll look back at the ECU win and we'll look ahead at the road this team faces from here on out and the exciting uh, last month or so we're looking at here this season. But Jason, I wanted to start with what took place Saturday against ECU. Um, it was a game in which. Memphis trailed in the second half. Um, It was a struggle. It was not like the game at ECU uh, where ECU was dealing with COVID issues and uh, Memphis took, you know, stomped on them right away and and never really was threatened. Uh, This one, they were very much threatened and it took uh, Alex Lomax digging them out of a second half malaise and, you know, big plays by DJ Jeffries, some big, big plays by DeAndre Williams. Lomax though was the star obviously, but what were your, uh, when, when you left that game, did you feel better or worse or the same about this Tigers team, Jason? Um, I, I guess the same, uh, I guess, um, you know, I, I, they helped serve. Yeah. I mean, they did what they were supposed to do. You're supposed to win that game and that's exactly what happened. And, and it didn't, it wasn't pretty, but it doesn't have to be, uh, style points don't necessarily count for much. Um, you know, the, the, the Ken Palm stuff and the net stuff, you know, you do get, you do get, uh, uh, some, some uh it helps you some in in those areas if you win big um but it's not it doesn't always play out that way i mean i i think what what i don't know if i've heard enough people um if they came away from this memphis win the seven point memphis win feeling disappointed or, or not completely uh, great about it. I don't know that they're necessarily remembering the fact that this is an East Carolina team that just beat had only just days before beaten uh, the number five team in the country by a healthy margin, a healthy nine point margin. So 
Um, yeah, it was, I mean, who knows what, who's to say that East Carolina isn't going to win, you know, uh, eight of their last 10 games, one of them being over a number five Houston team. Who's to say? Yeah, I'll say they're not. Um, <laughs> but your point is, and I agree with it. I don't think they're one of the worst teams in the league this year. I think they're more like seventh or eighth in the league. Like they're not a horrible team. Yeah, you get Houston. I mean, you get East Carolina on the right day, and they're obvious. They can obviously beat anybody. And so, if if a win is a win in this case, and uh, yeah, you just you're you're that's that's all it's about now is getting is stacking wins, and that's what Memphis did against East. Carolina. Well, and I think there were some key things in that game that it's why you know you you weren't upset at all that they that it was close. You were, you were happy that they pulled it out because they pulled it out doing some things that feel sustainable. There are things that they've done throughout this surge and there are things they can continue doing down the stretch of the season. One Lomax's resurgence as a point guard. I think it's become pretty clear. This team is going to go as far as Lomax takes it at the point guard position. He's the one true point guard on the roster. He's imperfect, but if he's plays the way he has during this, recent seven game stretch the rest of the way they are going to be very tough to beat because if if they play such good defense that if they just get adequate point guard play and I'd argue Lomax recently has been giving them slightly above adequate point guard play he's been very good at at certain moments Uh, the end of the ECU game perfect example where he kind of took over for a couple minutes to right the ship and then made some big plays late um, but they're going to be tough to beat if Lomax is playing like that. And I think he's playing at a, he's, I'm getting more and more confidence that he can, can, he can sustain the level of play he's had lately, or at least close to it. He's going to be much closer to this version of Alex Lomax than he was the Lomax when they started six and five, um, the rest of the way. I feel, I feel more comfortable that that's going to be the case. This brings um, up something that I've been, I mean, let's just get right into it. Does it matter that he doesn't start? Should he be starting? No, it doesn't matter. I mean, he could start. Whatever he's going to – I mean, no, I don't – it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. I think, I think uh, it's working. And so why, why try to fix something that isn't broke? Yeah. I mean, and ultimately what matters is his production, and he's playing minutes. Um, and whatever is going to help him get off to good starts is better. Like, you know, I, I looked it up. They are seven and one this season when Lomax has five or more assists. And over his career, they're 22 and four. So when he's when he's distributing the ball, good things happen for this program and for this team. So that's that was obviously one of the even though this was not the prettiest win during this surge, that was one thing in how they won it that I thought was really important. Lomax has become the indisputable leader of this team. And the guy they know, not just the guy who wants the ball in those moments, the guy who they know to turn to for, you know, help in those moments. Like everyone has accepted that this is Lomax's job is he's the leader. Um, the other thing, the other, there are two other things I think that have emerged during this surge. Landers Nolly shooting like Landers Nolly is not, even though he's an older player uh, c- compared to this team, uh, um, compared to the rest of this team, he's not like the le- he's not a leader. Like he's not an emotional leader out on the court. But his shooting 
but like not just his accuracy because he's actually not the best three point shooter on the team. It's te- by percentage, it's DJ Jeffries. But in terms of the combination of volume and percentage, he's the best three point shooter on the team in my mind. And his shooting, it's almost like having a, it's almost like having that pitcher in your starting rotation who you feel really good. Most times they're out on the mound that they can stop a losing streak. Landers Nolly's three-point shot acts the same way for Memphis in that it's something they didn't have last year when they go through these droughts of these scoring droughts that they've gone on. Landers Nolly has the ability to pull them out of it. In the first half of that ECU game, that's exactly what he did. He wasn't as effective in the second half. He had a bunch of turnovers and couldn't hit a shot in the second half. And I think, I think that correlates to the fact of why that second half felt like such a struggle until Lomax took it over is because Nolly's shot was not falling. You lost that weapon. Um, but when he's hitting, like in the end of the first half, he sets up he is, he sets up a Malcolm Dandridge dunk to stop like a seven-minute scoring drought and then hits two threes at the end of the half to give Memphis all this momentum heading into the break. And so that's something, even though it didn't show up in the second half against CCU, Again, another thing that I like that I've liked that that's emerged during this surge that they that's transferable to this stretch run. Like they, they have a solution to these scoring droughts now because they're going to have more. They're just it's just inevitable with this team, especially with the way they turn the ball over. There's going to be some droughts. Um, yeah. And then last was was DeAndre Williams. He, he didn't have as good a defensive game on Jaden Gardner as he did the first time, but he made some key play, key plays down the stretch. And it just feels like if he stay, if he can stay out of foul trouble, like they're just, again, just like with Lomax, they're just tough to beat when he's playing his normal role and normal minutes, because he gives Penny so much flexibility and versatility uh, with his lineups because Deandre has shown for stretches, he can be your five. You know, he can defend, you know, he can defend. There's not enough good post players in college basketball for it to matter all the time that you have an undersized guy at the five. And he can rebound and he can protect the rim enough. You know, you definitely lose some things not having Musa in there. But ultimately, um, he showed down the stretch why he's so valuable. He made a couple just – it was like a he had a block shot. He hit some free throws. He altered shots. He makes the right pass. It just feels like, um, and that feels transferable to the last stretch of the games. Like, just don't get in foul trouble if you're DeAndre Williams, and then you can do all, all these, you know, not seen on the stat sheet things that he seems to be very good at doing and seems willing to do, which is also important because, the you know, him and Lester seem to be the two guys on the roster and Lomax to a certain extent who, who do that, do those sort of, do the dirty work, if you will. But so even though it was a weird, it wasn't like the most encouraging result on the scoreboard. I actually came away from the game encouraged about what they could do here down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, they've hit on a really, really good recipe. Um, I mean, they, they have, they have found a really, really Penny has found a really, really good recipe for, um, for closing games out and, and, and uh, you know, he, he seems to have identified uh, the right combination for crunch time. And that is Alex Lomax, Landers, Nolly, Lester, Quinones, 
uh, DJ Jeffries and DeAndre Williams. And I mean, when your supporting cast is Musa Cisse and uh, Boogie Ellis and Damian Ball, and Malcolm Dandridge, that's that is a that's that's a really good uh, strong support system. Um, you know, each one of those guys has the potential if things aren't going uh, extreme, you know, like perfectly according to plan, you can plug one of those other guys in and see how that goes. So it's, it's uh, they, they've, they have hit a, a really nice stride and uh, it, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how the rest of this, uh, how the stretch drive, you know, if it, if it continues. Well, you said last week, you felt it was more important for Memphis to beat ECU and Cincinnati than lose than than beat Houston. You sticking by that? More important to win this Cincinnati game uh, than win the Houston game? Or I should probably phrase it as better to not lose the Cincinnati game than win the Houston game? Yes, I think I think that it is it is better for Memphis's at large prospects to beat Cincinnati than it is to beat Houston on the road. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know exactly how to phrase it, but you, you would, if you, if you had to pick one or the other beat Cincinnati at home or beat Houston on the road, you, you have, you have to pick beating Cincinnati at home because a loss at home to Cincinnati, the Cincinnati team that is five and seven, it's like 89th in Ken Palm and like around what? 120, something like that in the net. If one one ten maybe. If you lose to Cincinnati and beat Houston, it doesn't matter. I think you're in the exact same position you are today. They negate each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's that's that's. And yeah. if anything, it exacerbates the weakness of Memphis's profile, which is the fact that they've, you know, this like their two losses to Tulsa keep getting worse because Tulsa is in a free fall, a bit of a free fall, and so uh, you don't want to add another quad three loss which is what unfortunately like typically Cincinnati is a chance for a quad one win or you know you know they, they've been very consistent but they just think this they're they are a bad they're the worst Cincinnati team since Mick Cronin's first year I believe yeah and I mean they, they've they've played some close games um they just won right yeah they just they just beat Tulane they, they're coming off two wins and they've won three of their last four so they lost Cincinnati started off, they beat Lipscomb, then lost to Xavier, then beat Furman, and then they lost four games in a row to Tennessee, South Florida, Georgia, UCF, and Tulsa. And then now they've responded by winning three of their last four. They've beaten SMU, lost to Wichita, beat Temple, beat Tulane. Um, And they're a good defensive team, uh, or a decent defensive team, and like Memphis, kind of struggles – or like Memphis last year and like a typical Cincinnati team uh, struggles to kind of shoot the ball and in struggles from some of, you know, like talent wise, but unlike previous Cincinnati teams, they're not as tough, you know, like they're not as, you know, they don't rebound the ball really well and they don't defend They're They're a decent defensive team, but they're not a great defensive team. They don't, they're 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 probably a little worse than usual from an offensive standpoint, but they haven't made up compensated it with their typical toughness. The ta- talent's just not there. Um, John Brandon, we'll see. I, I I'll be curious to see how he does long term there. It's important for the league, honestly. Like 
for Memphis and for the AAC that since that John Brandon works or they get someone in there quickly who does work because, you know, Cincinnati's a brand in basketball and they're a team that, per, you know, perennially, especially now that UConn's gone, you, you, you kind of need them to have a successful offense to have a successful basketball league, ultimately long-term, you need a good sense. You need, you need Memphis to be good. You need Cincinnati to be good. You need Houston to be what they are now. And you need Wichita state to be what they were when they entered the league. That's, that's ultimately what the AC needs to kind of elevate its profile. Yeah, for sure. Looking at, looking at Cincinnati though, I think they're kind of like East Carolina a little bit. They've got, a couple of dudes. Um, they've got Keith Williams. They've got David DeJulius. Both of them uh, pretty good players. They got a big man. They got the seven footer um, vote. Um, David DeJulius from UCF. Is that right? That kind of sounds. Oh right. no, he's from Michigan. I, that's why I recognize his name. There you go. He transferred from Michigan. So, so they got a couple of good players, um, but they, I, I didn't. I mean, like they, they shoot the ball. Look at their free throw percentage. 65% rates three, uh, 313th in the country. Um, they're, they're not a good three point shooting team and they, uh, uh, their non steel turnover percentage. It, it ranks 301st in the country. So in a lot of ways, they're kind of like Memphis um, offensively or, or how Memphis was through the first 11 games of the season. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on, but does this not feel like uh, uh, just kind of a, a trap game? Uh, yes. 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 Well, because Keith, it'll be interesting to see. Like Keith Williams is 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 a very good player for them. Like uh, it, it'll be the latest. I guess he's he's technically I think top five in the league in scoring. Maybe not quite top five, top ten in the league in scoring. He's averaging fifteen point four points per game. He is sixth. Um, he is sixth in the league in scoring. Yeah. I, I would guess he's Lester's assignment. He's a six-five guard. Yeah, he's probably. Lived. He's from Brooklyn, so I'm guessing Lester might know him a little bit too. Maybe um, so. So that should be a that could be a fun match. But I think you're right. I think there probably is a natural tendency to look ahead to that Sunday game, and it's incumbent on Penny on on those players to convince themselves and realize what you said earlier. Like you can do a lot more. You're going to do a lot more hard. You're going to you are going to probably negatively impact your resume if you lose to Cincinnati. You are not going to negatively impact your resume if you lose to Houston. Right. Right. And so, um, but there's also an opportunity here, like I said at the top, to if you can if you can win both these games and go two and zero, and you're sitting there at fourteen and six, and ten and three in league play. I think you're you're going to be like I said. I think you might be in the field come next Monday on those yeah. bracketology lists. Like there's a decent shot, right? Uh, so depending, I think uh, Ken Palm has Memphis winning the Cincinnati game by seven, roughly. So let's say Memphis beats them, and I mean again, this is not, you know, nobody sh- should be overlooking Cincinnati. But let's say Memphis beats them by fifteen, and then let's say Memphis goes on the road and beats Houston. It doesn't matter about how however many points, whatever. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I don't, I don't think there's any way they're not part of the bracketology picture if they, if they, if they take care of business this week against Cincinnati and Houston. I, I don't see any way they're not. Yeah, no, it's going to be a exciting week, probably most exciting week for Memphis basketball 
probably maybe not exciting week because you've had lots of exciting weeks with Penny, whether it was the winning streak last year or um, the, you know, just the recruiting success and the excitement over his hire. But it's the probably the most meaningful week of basketball games during the Penny Hardaway era, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been mentioned uh, by a few people already, but this is as high as Memphis has been ranked in, in Ken Palm this late in the season since whatever year it's been. It's been 2014. It's been a yeah, 2014. Yeah. yeah, it's been a while. And so, uh, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of – it feels – it feels like it should feel at Memphis this does, time of does year. Does this streak and, feel different to you, better, worse, the, like than the streak last year where they, you know, went without Wiseman when they win 10 in a row? What did they win 11 in a row? 10 in a row, 10. and they went all the way up. They were in the top 15 in the polls. Um, but yeah. now, and they beat Tennessee, they beat NC State, right? Beat Ole Cold. Miss. Yep. Does this feel I mean, would you say this six wins in seven games is a bigger deal than that winning streak in the context of Penny Hardaway's career? I mean, I think it is. I understand those. I understand the point of view for, of people who might think differently because that was a 10-game winning streak. But when you think about it, you actually look at it, that it was they were, what, 12-1 and one at the end of that 10-game mm-hmm. winning streak? Well, and uh, a lot of it was by games. You know, like it was yeah. a lot of it wasn't you weren't playing it wasn't all conference games either. Right. No, that's true. But um I don't know. It's just to me, it's the way they're playing. It's it's the fact that it just it just it looks like most of it is intentional. You know, a lot I think a lot of that 10 game winning streak last year, uh you know, at least half of it was just they were athletically more gifted than the other team, or, or the other team had no answer for Precious Achua. And this this feels like a more well-rounded, um, you know, uh, uh, run. And um, and and it's later in the year. And again, it's 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 all against conference opponents and. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I could see it. I could argue it both ways, but uh, you know, I think, I think this year sort of wins out, even though, you know, there was that road win against Tennessee last year. That was a big, a big deal. Um, but yeah, I don't, let's, let's see, let's see how this week goes. Maybe, maybe this week is what really makes it the decisive, clear, uh, clear winner. Oh yeah, you go two and zero this week. There's no more doubts about this team. Uh, there's, you know, they're they're officially rolling if they can win two in a row and yeah. uh, two more in a row, I should say. Yeah. Um, so set setting up to be one heck of a week potentially. Even if that, you know, frankly, even if you go, even if you go one and one this week and beat Cincinnati, uh, I think you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Even if you know, as long as you don't get blown out by Houston on the road, but a uh, chance here for really for, for, for this Memphis team, for Penny Hardaway to kind of announce themselves on the national stage uh, again uh, this week. That's what it feels like the Houston game in particular, you win that people, you know, here locally, people are talking about this team again, but you win that Houston game, people around the country are going to start talking about 
what could this Memphis basketball team be uh, the rest of the way. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are. We'll have tons of coverage of the Cincinnati game, of the Houston game, of all the angles uh, uh, over at commercialappeal.com. Um, there's also a chance we'll, uh, you know, we'll podcast sooner than maybe you expect because, I mean, this thing's – we're getting hot. It's hot. It's getting hot, Jason. This team's rolling. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It, it, we, we have to match their intensity, Mark. We cannot – Yes. Yeah, like we got to – if, if Alex Lomax is going to refuse to lose to ECU, who am I to refuse an extra podcast or two? We have to will ourselves – to to more podcasts just like alex lomax is willing this these tigers to victory we have to we have to we have to take our cues from them and uh so yeah if they keep if they stay hot then we'll uh we'll try to match it with all that being said we'll join you next monday or tuesday after the houston game uh, <laughs> with the with the next podcast um till then i was mark i was joined by jason um here's open for a two and a week The Tiger Basketball Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.